And now, Canada Hoops, hosted by Maddie Ireland. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Canada Hoops. It's your boy, Maddie. We thank you for your continued support as you download, like, and share Canada Hoops. Our guest today represents Edmonton, Alberta. He is a former Ross Shepherd Thunderbird, San Diego State Aztec, Northern Arizona Lumberjack, and just recently represented Canada in the FIBA 3-on-3 qualifying tournament Alberta makes some noise. He is Steve Sir. Steve, thanks for joining us on Canada Hoops, man. Thanks for having me, Matty. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and um, we'll get into it later in the episode, but you're the first guest I've had on that I've had the pleasure of playing against and uh, take a beat down from back in the day so that, <laughs> you know, your team was uh, super great back then. So we'll, we'll talk about that. And uh, I know we touched on it really quick uh, before we recorded, but... Um, just want to let our listeners know how uh, things are going for you and your family, and especially with this last year, man. You know, it, I think it's been uh, similar for uh, for us as it has been for a lot of people. There's been ups and downs, and uh, and complications, and frustrations, and uh, you know, through it, we've uh, we've leaned on each other uh, quite a bit. Uh, I have two little girls, and um, cool. You know, it's been. Uh, it's been interesting to, to see this uh, from an adult's perspective, and then do your best to see it through uh, through uh, our kids' perspective, and uh, you know how much they've missed out on, and how frustrating this has been. But you know, like I mentioned to you before we got going, uh, the silver lining through all of this is I think it's made us closer, and, and we are uh, able to really appreciate the things that we do have and the good things that we have in our day to day lives. And um, you know, everyone's in our family has stayed healthy, and our close close circle around us has stayed healthy, and I don't think you can ask for a whole heck of a lot more than that after the kind of year we've had. So, uh, you know, uh, we're excited that there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel now and a little bit of an endpoint. Uh, but we're also grateful for the time that we've had together and, and the things that we've shared through a, through a complicated year. Yeah. Well said, uh, hopefully we can push forward and I'm glad to hear everybody was yeah. safe, safe on your end there. Yeah. Thanks man. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, let's kind of jump at the beginning here for you in terms of your basketball story how did the the game get introduced to you and how did the love of basketball really come about for you man well i, I was indoctrinated pretty early uh by my uh my, my dad i was uh given the uh why don't we try basketball what about you know saying no let's try basketball so it was uh yeah. it was uh it was early on for me uh my first word was ball um i had my little nerf hoop growing up uh i and you know my first memories of basketball were going to watch my dad uh, play men's league uh, when we moved to Edmonton. Um, he was still, my dad was a really high level player uh, in, in university. He played at Winona State in Winona, Minnesota. Right. Uh, played professionally in Belgium. And then uh, when he, you know, got into a uh, different career, uh, he was still, you know, still a very good player. So that was my first memory of, of hoops, of, of sitting on the end of his bench or, you know, sitting on the stage with the Mormon church with, with uh, something to, something to eat, like some popcorn or something like that and watching my dad get up and down. And, uh, and, and that was really, I think where I started to fall in love with, uh, 
the sounds and the smells and the, the language and the, everything about just being in the gym and, and the culture behind basketball that was uh, just sucks you right in and, and makes you want to be a part of it. So uh, those were those were the things that really I think set the treads for me on uh, on on wanting to be involved in the game and really just be a basketball player. So that's cool. And then you know, as your game develops and you're you know you're wanting to be a young hooper, who did you look up to on the court and whose game did you really idolize? Well, you know, when I was little, we were awfully fortunate to have such a strong basketball community here in Edmonton. Um, right. I mean, that was that was my my world at that point. And, you know, my dad, uh, like I said, was was a really uh, a great player. So I obviously looked up to him and he told me stories of the guys that he played with in college and against in college. So there was this you know, the whole universe of of guys that I knew of and I thought, you know, could do this and could do that. And um you know, there were other strong players in the city as well when I was a little guy coming up. Of You know, Dave Youngs was eventually the man I played for at Ross Shepard High School, but he was a, a great player for the University of Alberta. Right. Uh, Sean Cherzanoff was his backcourt mate, and, and same type of thing, competitive. They could shoot. They were skilled. And they really jump-started what the Bears um, achieved in the 90s where they won their back-to-back national championships. And as a young guy, those are uh, formulative experiences of going to the Don Horwood basketball camp at the U of A. Right. Uh, watching guys like Clayton Pottinger and Greg DeVries and Murray Cunningham and Scott Martell play pickup at lunches and uh, at, uh, at dinner time was uh, left a big impression on a young kid who fancied himself a serious basketball player at some point in his life. So, you know, those were the guys that I thought were great. Um, they were competitive. They were tough. They played every day, which I thought was, I mean, you know, hey, that's what a basketball player should do. If he loves to hoop, then he should go out there and hoop. And, and they played pickup every day in front of us. And it really showed the young guys like what it meant to be a high-level basketball player. Um, my cousin, Nathaniel Watson, was another guy that I looked up to. I, you know, I'm the oldest in my family, so I didn't have an older sibling. And, and right. Nate was uh, a few years older than me and was a strong high school player at Edmonton and wound up playing at the University of Idaho. So uh, I, thought, I thought he was another guy that I, you know, I really emulated and looked up to. And and then obviously you watch the NBA a bit different back then when games were on only on Saturdays or Sundays and you only got one. And right. I think I was like everybody. I love Michael Jordan and, you know, you'd go into the backyard and you'd shoot fadeaways or pull-ups and things like that and pretend you were him. And yeah. um, I was, I was lucky because, you know, my dad was a basketball guy and immersed me into it. And then I was really fortunate to just be around guys that were high level competitors and were also gracious and kind and good to a little kid like me. So that, that was the best learning I could have asked for. Well, that's cool. I love when guys mention, you know, people in their community that are right in front of them that, you know, they learn the game from and they look up to Mm -hmm. because, you know, that's important. And every community has that. And, you know, those people don't necessarily get a lot of love or are well known, but they matter to the people that, you know, they're playing in front of. So I always love when guys mention guys, you know, in their community, right? Totally. I mean, you know, for the guys who were coming up that were my age, I mean, going to the U of A gym was what you did on Friday and Saturday night and watch the Bears play because it was some of the best basketball in the country. Right. And these were also the guys that you spent time with in the summer. They were your camp counselors. They were the guys that you watched play. And, um, you know, it, those were the people you could see and, like, literally like reach out and really and really get a chance to know. And while the NBA and that kind of level was great um, – that's for me what basketball looked like was was those guys playing every day in the hot old uh, university gym and and um, 
thinking that, you know, hey, when I was old enough, you want to go down on the weekends and try and get in with a run on them, which is what we did in high school. And how much just quality learning and character development that helped because, you know, the Don Harwood camp was amazing. All the local kids went to it. And uh, there were a lot of good players that came from my age group in Edmonton. I don't think it was a mistake considering the kind of basketball that was being played in Edmonton at that time. Yeah, no doubt. And then, um, you know, you mentioned Dave Young. He's playing for him at Ross Shepard. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's get into the Shep days. And I know, um, in my opinion, especially in Western Canada, I mean, powerhouse school and a lot of the people in Canadian basketball may not be too aware of it. And, you know, Ontario mm-hmm. gets a lot of love. But, um, you know, your time at Shep was really special. And you were part of some great teams. You won back-to-back provincial titles in 99 and 2000. You know, what made your group so special and dominant at that time? Well, you know, initially uh, I wanted to go to Russia because I wanted to play for Dave. Uh, right. I remember Dave when I was a young guy. and uh, I went to a, a really under-the-radar basketball camp uh, a couple summers. I was out in Stony Plain that Dave coached at, and I got to know him a little bit that way. Um, and I just kind of made up my mind, like, that's the guy I want to play for. If I'm going right. to be a good basketball player, that's going to be the guy. I watched him coach a game against my cousin, Nathaniel, and uh, watched Chef beat East Glen. And uh, I remember watching Dave during the game and thinking, like, man, he's just he's intense. He's into it. And, and that's who I want to be with. So um, I set my mind on that after junior high. Uh, we had a really, really important experience going down to the States uh, and playing in a variety of club tournaments uh, in between ninth and 10th grade, uh, Phil Allen, who was another guy that I was extremely lucky to be able to play for as, as a young guy, um, Phil and my dad and, and a man named Dave Dorward put together the best ninth grade players in the city. And we went down to the Clem Haskins basketball camp in Minnesota. Uh, we played in a huge, huge tournament in, uh, in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, at the University cool. of Indiana. And then we came back to the Twin Cities and played some scrimmages against high schools and played in a tournament called the Great American Shootout in the Twin Cities. And this was an extremely eye-opening experience for all of our kids at that age because we all fancied ourselves good players, which we were in our own right. Uh, but this opened our eyes to the to the ocean outside of the fishbowl. So after that, a couple of the guys that were on that team uh, wanted to come to Shep as well. Uh, I didn't recruit them. Dave didn't recruit them. But, you know, there was this line of thinking of, uh, a high level of ability and a high level of skill all being together uh, could be an interesting thing. So myself and Phil Sudol and Jermaine Buckner, Brandon Park and Joel Allen, uh, all were 10th graders at Shep. And, you know, you'd be hard pressed to find a, a better five group of guys ever anywhere at, in our province um, right. in the same grade coming to a, the same school. So we brought a lot. We brought a lot of hype. Uh, we, we brought a lot of skill. Uh, we were awfully good for our age. Uh, and we still had things to learn, which was the other part of it, I think, which is what helped our, our group is we were hungry, but we were still a little green. And Dave uh, Dave pushed us. Dave was tough on us at times. Uh, he was good to us. We knew he cared about us. Uh, we had other good players on the team as well. Shep wasn't a blank slate when we showed up. Mustafa Seaton was a great player. Uh, Kevin Kyle was a good player. Right. There were other guys that could really go. And I think when you added us, it just went took it up to a whole nother level. Uh, we won provincials that, that year in 10th grade. Um, we won provincials in 11th grade. And then when I moved away, Shep won provincials again in 12th grade. So they didn't miss me all that much. Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, one of the things that made our group special, and you could see this after guys moved on, 
um, was the things that guys accomplished after Shep. There was clearly a, a, a strong love for basketball with those guys. I mean, Jermaine and I played professionally and had our own accomplishments abroad and in, in the States at a division one level. But I mean, Phil Sudo was a fantastic basketball player and right. won a national championship at the U of A with Brandon Park. And Brandon Park was a, a tremendous basketball player in his own right too. Uh, Joel Allen led the ACAC in scoring was one of the top CCAA scorers in the country at Lakeland. And the, we were all on the same team. So, you know, it'd be hard to put your finger on one thing specifically, but I think if you had to really try and pinpoint it, it would be, there was a love for basketball um, there was a connection between all of us. I think that we were maybe too young to understand at the time. And then also, too, there was a competitiveness. We were a fiery group. And I think, you know, some of that started with me. I was a pretty edgy, competitive guy at an early age. And I remember uh, I that. Think, yeah, I, I had a little bit of a streak, Maddie. I think you might remember. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, even though it wasn't handled perfectly, like it rarely ever is with 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, Sure. That did push a little bit of the competitiveness at our in our environment where guys would get into arguments, get into scraps, and then they would get back in and they would fight for it on the court. So right. um, when I reflect on those times, it was uh, it was special. And we were just, you know, we still have relationships with each other today based on those on those basketball experiences. And we were awfully lucky to have it. It was a special time. Yeah. And I just want to point out really quick. I mean, it's not like the talent across the province at that time was not very good. I mean, I remember uh, Jimmy Balderson being down at McGrath yeah. at the same time. I mean, that guy was good player, Hooper man. Like good, you player. know. And I just remember, I, yeah, I remember thinking at that time the level uh, of talent in Alberta was outrageous. And I remember getting to see it uh, firsthand. And you mentioned you're going to Minnesota to play your last year uh, of high school. How did that decision come about? And was it a, a tough one to make as a family? Um, you know what. It was always kind of part of a of, of a of a longer term plan. Uh, I was born in Minnesota, and my right. father was from Iowa. And we moved up to Canada when I was four. We spent a year in Toronto, um, and then we moved to Edmonton because that's where my mom was from. And her parents were a little bit older, okay. so the idea was we were going to be around them and in the Edmonton community. And uh, at some point in time, we were supposed to move back to the states. Uh, my dad owned an art gallery. And he sold that art gallery here in Edmonton. And uh, before he did, he had opened an art gallery in the Mall of America in Minneapolis. Okay. Um, so really, that was the driving thing behind it was uh, my dad's work and career was was in the Twin Cities. And, um, you know, eventually we were going to move down there. And it happened to be between the summer of, of my 11th grade and 12th grade year. Right. Um, it was a tough move. I mean, I wanted the the challenge of playing in the States for a full season um, and seeing what that was like because, you know, there was still that stigma of, you know, Canadian basketball players, especially if you weren't from Ontario, of being soft, of being, you know, hockey guys and, you know, who knows? You're not really playing anybody. There, That was pretty hardcore at that point. Right. Um, so the idea of being able to really go down there and, and, and bump heads and, and, and play against the American guys day in and day out was exciting. But it was still tough socially to leave all my friends and, and leave home for one year. Right. Um, it turned out to be a, a fantastic experience because of where I played and, and who I played with and who I played for at Creighton Durham Hall. Right. Um, but it wasn't without its challenges. Uh, so, you know, in the beginning, uh, there were some bumps, but uh, I, there were good people there and, and they looked out for me and, and the basketball wound up being fantastic and, and really uh, opened my eyes to a whole, whole other world. Yeah, and then I just want to get back to a little bit of your summers uh, playing for Alberta. 
and some of those great teams. And then, um, you know, that was where I first came across you playing against you and Jermaine, other guys. I think Phil was on those teams. Yeah. Uh, I remember Jimmy Balderson being on a team, I think probably for Canada games, but mm-hmm. you know, you, you, uh, you know, in the 99 Nike nationals, I'm sure you remember this, you dropped 47 in the final against yeah. BC. And yeah. I think, I think that was breaking Steve Nash's record at the time, wasn't it? It was, yeah. That was a little known thing, just because. I mean, Chiefs were talking like in nineteen ninety nine, like it's yeah, fifty years ago. But like this is, it just wasn't, it wasn't a much talked about thing where you knew who had what record. But I remember Rich Goulet, the yeah. le- you know legendary coach who coached at Pitt Meadows. Um, he was on color commentary of the game, and um, yeah. he told me afterwards that the record for a national final was 42 uh, oh. by Steve Nash. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I ended up, you know, having a, having a great game in the final. And uh, you know, that was a, a big part of who we played, who I played with. I had great teammates, uh, all, you know, the other four guys that I went to Shep with were on that team, Jermaine, Joel, Phil, and Brandon. Yeah. Uh, and we had a bunch of other guys from, from around Alberta that were really tough. We had a great coaching staff and Mike Fullerton and Daryl Cleave and, and Richard Sabota. So they put me in, in place to be successful and they gave me the green light to really go out there and be aggressive. Um, and that was a game changer for me because one, it gave me a, a level of confidence that uh, even though I was playing very well at Shep and we were being successful, I still struggled to maintain a consistent level of confidence. Um, and after that, things started to get, you know, a little bit of, uh, of, of an open door for me where, I could send that video to colleges. I got a lot of hype after that. I was in Sports Illustrated. I was in Slam. Right. And there was there was a lot of things happening that started to push me beyond that, like, well, you know, we'll see and we'll take a good look at you. But, you know, American schools started to look at me a little different. They were able to come up in 11th grade and start to recruit me a little bit harder and, and give me more of an honest look. And, you know, playing for the team Alberta was, was really the was really the catalyst in starting that and, and made for also – a wonderful experience with the group that we had same type of thing as like i said with shep like i'm still in touch with, with most of those guys and right that was just one of those special summers and then plus also too getting to know you guys and su- having uh yeah. having your support and us supporting you it was uh, like fun part of being able to be at a tournament in an environment like that was the interaction between other other teams and other provinces yeah those were special times i remember them and i just remember how great your team was and always going up against powerhouses like bc and ontario and uh, mm-hmm. You know the the talent on Alberta at the time was tremendous, and you were beating out uh, guys like Denim Brown. Uh, you know, yeah. you were getting you were winning the MVP. I mean, those were people need to recognize how great uh, your teams were at the time. Um, yeah, a special group. Yeah, absolutely. So you do you finish your year at Minnesota in high school there, and then um, you're looking to play at the next level. Uh, what were you looking at for uh, offers just to get going in college? Um, we know my goal, especially after that ninth grade trip, when we went down to the States, my goal was to play in division one in the States. Um, right. it wasn't anything against, you know, the U sport level CIS at the time. It's just college basketball in the United States was what I was, what I loved. I loved watching March Madness. I loved following it, uh, nerding out on it when the street and Smith would come out and you just get to read about everybody. Yeah. Uh, and that's what I really wanted to pursue. So, um, Going down to Minnesota, uh, teams and schools took me a lot more serious because then all of a sudden it's against American guys and, and there was less of the, ah, oh, you're Canadian. It, it got more into, okay, you're doing this against American guys that maybe are on other recruiting radars or maybe even on their radar. 
Right. Um, so the schools that were recruiting me uh, when I was up in Edmonton were, you know, University of Montana, Montana State, uh, Northern Arizona started recruiting me after in between my 11th and 12th grade year. I had a, a okay. big showing at the at the Las Vegas big time tournament. Um, and that really is what uh, catapulted me a little bit into the Minnesota scene um, with colleges. So through my senior year, um, Northern Arizona was still on me really hard. Uh, new schools started to come into the mix like Marquette and Utah and San Diego okay. State and uh, a few Big Ten teams now that I was in the area. And at the in the end, um, you know, I visited Utah, I visited San Diego State, uh, Northern Arizona I visited in the fall, um, and I kept my recruiting open through the season to give myself a chance just to see what was going to happen if I played a full year in Minnesota. Right. Um, <clears throat> I felt really good about North. I felt good about those three: Northern Arizona, Utah, and San Diego State. Um, Rick Majerus was at Utah at the time, and he was right. as good a coach as anywhere at any level. Um, Northern Arizona, I really liked because I know I really fit their system, uh, really fit their culture. And then San Diego State was kind of that wild card where it was uh, a little bit outside my comfort zone, but you know they played in the Mountain West, and just about every team in the Mountain West at that point had a guy that fit my profile, about six four, six five guard that could shoot and really stretch the defense. So um, I got excited about that for about San Diego State, and and wanted to take a little bit of a risk. And also, too, the visit to San Diego, California, was yeah. appealing to the eyes. So it was uh, yeah. it was one of those things where I wanted to go and I wanted to give it my best, and I thought I really could fit. And uh, Coach Fishers and Coach Dutcher are extraordinarily high level recruiters. Yeah. And, uh, and great guys as well. I really feel like I, I fit with them. So that's where I wound up being for, for two years and, uh, and felt like I learned a ton. It was, it was, a I know I've said it a few times, but it was a special experience. I, I met some great people, played with some great teammates. And, uh, before I moved on to NAU, it was, uh, it was a really valuable life experience. What, uh, what led you to move to NAU just to get more playing time and more minutes? I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, you know, when I was playing for the Aztecs, uh, I redshirted for a year, which was I was completely behind. Right. Uh, I know that I, I needed to get stronger and quicker and adapt to the college level. And I think sometimes players get hung up on the idea of, like, I'm not going to play for a year. That's tough. And it's like, sure, but you can also use a year to improve. Um, and then my second year, which was, was my freshman year, I started, I think, nine or ten games and, and was in the mix for things. Um, to be honest – and it was a weird thing at the time because if you transferred, there was more of the line of thinking of like, oh, you're a problem, you're a problem child, and you know right. you're not trying to make it work. And a lot of it came back on the player, um, which is so funny to look at now because of the transfer rule and you know players moving as frequently as they do. Right. None of it was negative, especially as I see it now. I just felt that NAU was probably the place I should have been right out of right out of high school. Um, that never really left my mind. Um, as much as I wanted San Diego State to work, I did feel that being at NAU was going to maximize my improvement as a basketball player. I think, uh, you know, I liked living in San Diego, but it was also a major city and I didn't feel as connected to the community as I'd hoped I would be when I was in college. Right. Um, so I, I made the decision to, to go and it was, you know, I still have relationships with some awfully wonderful people in, in San Diego that I played with, but going to NAU was the best decision I ever made because, you know, our team was extremely tight knit. Uh, the system that we ran and how we played was very, very suited to me as a player and helped emphasize my strengths and also improve my weaknesses. And, um, 
it was uh, it was one of those things where looking back on it, especially now, I, I can't imagine any other reality where I wouldn't have done it because it just ended up being so positive. Well, yeah, it paid off for you. I know, you know, you had the the record uh, junior season with a three point percentage with a ridiculous point four eight nine. You know, and then you played with Kyle Landry there too, correct? At the same time. Yeah, I had to put up with him for a few years at, at NAU, so somehow I survived that. But uh, no, yeah. it was uh, that was a special part of it too. Is that there was another guy from from this area of Canada down there who was right. who was a young guy and uh, was eager to make his mark at that level. Um, and I had a couple of years experience, and we we clicked and and, and hit it off right away. Yeah, uh, and obviously, you know, we we still played three x three up to you know, a couple of weeks ago, so there was a relationship that's uh, clearly going to be life lasting. Um, and that was because of Northern Arizona. We, you know, we right. probably would have bumped into each other at some point in life and, and had a beer and said, Hey, and talked, but, uh, we got to be close friends as a result of being at, uh, at NAU. So, um, you know, and there was a lot of that down there. They, NAU recruited, had one of the best recruiting strategies I've seen anywhere is if they, they would bring a guy in and if the players didn't like him, they stopped recruiting him. If he didn't fit the culture or fit the mold of the program, as good as the player was, the coaches would say, Hey, if you don't like him, it's done. Wow. And that was really reflected, especially for a couple of years there in our group, as everyone on the team in some way, shape or form connected to each other. And uh, it was reflective in our success as a program. We were first the, my last two years there when we just missed out on qualifying for the tournament and the championship. But right. um, there was a cohesion and, and, uh, and a chemistry that I think was uh, was not an accident. It was because of good recruiting and, and, a, and a great system. Yeah, well, shout out uh our friend Kyle Landry, he's been uh, a guest on Canada Hoops and yeah. and supports us. So much love to him. And uh, just to wrap up NAU real quick, uh, you know, what do you make of the fact that people, and rightfully so, based on your stats, regard you as one of the best shooters just with respect to your ability in college basketball history? You know, do you do you think about that much? I mean, a lot of time has passed, but I mean, I know it's got to be nice to hear it, but. You know, what do you think about that uh, that statement, so to speak? Well, definitely age as well. Like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a good thing, especially now with how uh, how predominant the three point shot is in our game. Um, right. You know, to be honest, for a kid that who's grew up in Edmonton, which was not a basketball hotbed at the time, and and you know, loved basketball, had uh, some. Uh, athletic shortcomings to overcome like when i was in junior high i was told i wouldn't play high school basketball i was slow and right. you know all you do is shoot and all that stuff i really and i'll toot my horn here a little bit in high school i made the commitment of like okay if, if i'm going to be a, a division one basketball player i, I got to work my ass off and it's got to be every day i mean like this is the 90s where yeah. you know getting a, making a thousand shots a day was what what's great players did. And like, that was the badge of honor. I mean, you read punks and slam, everyone was saying like, I make a thousand a day. So that was what I committed to. Uh, I came up with some weird routines. I, I skipped rope every night in my basement. I did this little follow through exercise where I pushed my arm off the wall 200 times a night. I slept with my ball. Like I ran, I had a three suicide rule after every workout where I had to run three suicides before I could go home. Right. Um, and it wasn't just work it was it was deliberate work it was work with intent like i wanted to play division one ball and i felt this is what i needed to do right or wrong it's what i felt i needed to do and how i guess that carried over to nau was um you got to create your standard and you got to have your principles and then there's going to be some some luck a little bit of luck 
And then there's going to come down to the intangibles, great teammates, the right system that fits you. Uh, you know, I could really shoot the ball, but if I'm not playing with Josh Wilson, if I'm not playing with Kyle Landry, if I'm not playing with Ruben Boykin and, and Ryan McCurdy and those guys who are setting screens and getting the ball to me in those right places, then I'm not leading the nation in three-point percentage and I'm not leading the nation in three-pointers made per game or setting the NCAA record. So there was a lot of that too. Um, but I think, you know, habits and persistence and your accountability to when things are good, I'm going to keep showing up early and staying late. When things are bad, I definitely have to show up early and stay late. And, and those were the things that pushed me through it because as wonderful as NAU was, it was a challenging time. Our coach was a demanding guy and, and um, <clears throat> you know, definitely was, was hard on us in, in certain ways. So um, a, a while later, you know, years later, I'm, I'm proud that record still stands. I'm proud because it, it stands with Northern Arizona next to it. Right. I'm proud because of, of the guys who helped me who don't get recognized in that award um, and that record who helped me get there. And um, I'm proud of it because I, I know how much went into it. None of, not a lot of it wound up on, none of it wound up on social media. None of it wound up in, you know, the real stuff wound up in newspaper articles or anything like that, but you know, in your head and your heart, what you did and, and you right. know that, uh, that you earned it. So it's a, uh, it's a satisfying and uh, gratifying feeling. Well, and I just want to point out to young hoopers, if you're listening and you're a fan of Steve and know his game and just straight up that the hard work pays off and you got to put the work in. So, you know, that's a, that's a good teaching point. We appreciate that. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, absolutely. As you go and leave NAU and look to turn pro, what, uh, what you were you looking at with respect to leagues to get into and start your pro career? Well, you know, honestly, I didn't really think about professional basketball up until really my final year of playing in Northern Arizona. Like I, as I mentioned to you before, like playing division one basketball is the goal. And then the, the, the other goal was I want to be a good division one basketball player. I want to be an all conference guy and, and I want to be relied on to, to win games. Um, you know, my senior year, I started hearing from some agents and started hearing about some possibilities and places to go play and camps to go do. So that summer I, I went to a showcase camp in Ohio and, and played pretty well. And, um, I went and played in the, the Long Beach Pro-Am, which back then was, was a pretty serious Pro-Am, uh, yeah. you know, and, uh, and that was a good learning experience. I played with a lot of, a lot of colorful uh, animated characters down there. So, For sure. um, and I started to try my best to learn the lay of the land. There was so many things I didn't know. And, you know, you think every job over in Europe, you make lots of money and you're, you know, you're doing all this exotic traveling. You just didn't know anything. Um, I went and trained in Las Vegas uh, at, at a facility uh, that had a lot of NBA draft guys, you know, coming and going. And, and that was a big time learning experience. And then at the end of it, I got a little job playing in Switzerland uh, in a small, you know, 10,000 people population town called Porrentry. Okay. And my wife and I went over there kind of just eyes wide open and, and had a wonderful year where we, we lived in this small community and, and played basketball uh, in the Swiss league and, and it's, I mean, looking back on my pro career, it's my favorite year because I didn't know anything and I didn't know what was going to happen. You know, we lifted weights in a, in an old abandoned uh, bomb shelter wow. uh, as opposed to like the fancy weight room we had at, at NAU in San Diego State. And we practiced twice a day and we worked really hard for, you know, from August until May. And it was, it was a wonderful year and it kind of just tossed me right into it where uh, I could show my stuff and, 
when I got over to Europe, uh, they told me like, you know, go to the basket more, use pick and roll more, uh, diversify your game a little bit more. And that was fun because in college, you know, as, as great a shooter as I was for Northern Arizona, that was what I did. I didn't put the ball down on the floor a whole heck of a lot. And I wasn't in, encouraged uh, to do those sorts of things. And then the next year, it's just like, hey, drive to the basket. You can do it. Right. So uh, getting into that world was fun. It was all very new. It was all very challenging. And then uh, it was really also a, a dream come true to be playing basketball, making even just a little bit of money in a foreign country. You really felt like you made it. Um, for sure. And, and that's, uh, yeah, that was it. And it was, man, it was just a fun year. Everything was new. What, um, you know, you were well-traveled in your, in your career with stops, obviously in Switzerland, Germany, Mexico, Romania, and even back home in Canada. And then mm -hmm. you had your best season in Switzerland in 2014, 2015, where you averaged just under 21 points, um, across the board and hitting all these countries. What are your just, you know, some best memories and maybe some, some crazy stories. Lots of guys have some wild stories playing overseas. Yeah, there were, there were some wild ones. I mean, in Switzerland, life was so easy because the the practices were tough and we worked hard, but the country's right. small. So the road trips weren't so bad and, you know, everything was above board because, you know, Swiss, like if, you know, if you get paid the day you're owed your money, they're the kind of apologetic, you know, like if it's a long weekend, they're coming to you and be like, Hey Steve, we're going to pay you early. Is that okay? Of course it's okay. Sure. So you don't really learn how good you have it until you start to go to some other places. Like, you know, I really enjoyed playing in Romania. It was right. very unique. It was very different, but money was always late. Uh, there was always weird reasons for why I was late. If you got paid at all, right. uh, the travel was really long. Uh, cause just the roads in, in Romania were a little bit different than Switzerland. So you're taking, 13, 14, 15 hour bus rides to get to games. Um, you know, you're, you're there, you're trying to get your bearings and then you sleep. And then the next day you go to shoot around, you play the game and you win or lose. And then you're back on the bus driving 15 hours to get back to Bucharest. So right. um, playing in Mexico had its wild moments. Um, a lot of, a lot of weird stuff going on down there at times, but uh, you know, more than anything, Matt, like there's some weird stories you can tell, but now that it's done for me, um, to have had the opportunity to be in these different communities. You know, one of the things that, that's constant that stands out to you is they love basketball everywhere in the world. Right. And it takes different forms and shapes, but um, there's, there's guys out there that can play that nobody gets big write-ups on and, you know, they're not on podcasts or things like that. And you try and impart this back to people when you come home of it's an ocean out there. And there's sure. so many players that are hungry and anxious and eager to move up the slightest of levels. So to have had a chance to experience that and see that firsthand and, and meet people in different areas and, and form relationships and stay in touch with those people, uh, it's it's awfully rewarding to, to have had. And uh, I have a high level of, of, of gratitude now that I'm getting older of, of having been able to be in these places, uh, to meet people and to, uh, to have maybe uh, made some kind of small impact on on basketball in their area, if you have a good game and people remember it, or you hit a cool shot and, and someone maybe writes you on Instagram and says, Hey, I remember this. Um, those are special moments because at one point in time, I was the same kid in the gym watching people play and looking up to them. And, uh, and to have the opportunity to do that in Canada and abroad is a, uh, it's a special thing to reflect on. It's awfully, awfully great, special experience. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, I got to say that's well put. Um, 2016, you get the invite 
to join the Milwaukee Bucks for the summer league. Uh, yeah. Tell us, and I, and I know a lot of people know that, but tell us um, how that, that opportunity came about and just describe that experience, man. Well, you know, I was in Romania a second time. I was playing in a city called Galatz, uh, okay. which was re- really far east. And it was March. And I'll, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I was miserable. Like it was a tough city to play in. My coach was a little, he was really nuts. And, <laughs> you know, they were behind on the money. And right. we had just had our second baby at home. And I was really feeling like, you know, oh, man, this is this is tough. And the Bucks called me and, oof end of March probably. And they, you know, said, Hey, we're, we're looking at you for this. We know you're you know, a little bit older, but like we need someone to come in and like be a veteran guy and, and help some of our young guys at summer league. We really think you could fit that role. And plus we just need someone who can shoot because we don't shoot the ball very well. And yeah, there was some indecision on the roster of who was going to be back. So we're, you know, we're going to give you a crack. Do you think you'd be interested? I don't even think I let them finish the sentence. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I'll, I'll come now. Like I'll, I'll run from Romania to Vegas and just wait for you guys. But it was, uh, it was this overwhelming feeling of just like, you know, Holy smokes. Like I, can, can we skip ahead to July please? And just get, you know, get doing this now. Right. Um, Cause one of the, one of the thing I was 34 at the time. So, you know, you, you learn over those times, you know, and everyone's leaving college and like, I'm going to hope you know, I want to get a league workout, maybe pick up some, and you realize so quickly, like, man, these opportunities just don't come along very often. Like right. the NBA is such a hard league to crack to even get a look. So um, I got home from Romania and they hadn't a hundred percent committed to me. They said, we're probably going to bring you, but you know, we'll let you know, just be ready. Right. So, there was still some possibility that they could say, Hey, it's not going to work. We're going to bring another guy. But I came home and I was like, okay, I'm not looking at it that way. I'm looking at it as like, I have to be there. So I'm going to prepare, like I'm counted on to go up there and start. Um, so I came home and I had a workout with George Hoyt, who's the head coach at Harry Angley high school. And after the workout, I said, you know, George, like, can you help me? And like, I knew George a little bit, but we were, we weren't like thick as thieves or anything like that. So, right. I just asked him, can you help me do this? This is what I'm going to be getting ready for. Don't tell anyone because it's not official yet, but can you help me prepare? And George said, yep, whatever you need. And similar to what I mentioned before of like, you know, my dad was my first coach and Phil Allen and Dave Young's Mike Fullerton. Uh, George just right off top was like everything I can give you, I'm going to give you. And George worked me as hard as, I've ever I've worked since high school where he was showing up and we'd be doing two, two and a half hour workouts. I'm running all over the gym, running off garbage cans, pump fake in here. You got to make 10 in a row to move on. Right. Um, if you miss one, you got an up and back and, you know, doing pushups. So he, he worked me to death, you know, had his kids in there rebounding for me. It was, and it was such a fun experience because you almost felt like you were a kid again. Right. Um, and the bucks called me through this and they were like, yeah, we'll bring you up. Okay. Thank God. So, um, <laughs> I get down to Vegas and we have, you know, three, four days of training camp and it's actually going pretty well where, you know, these guys are another level athletes. I mean, we have For sure. Malcolm, we have Malcolm Brogdon, we have Rashad Vaughn, we got Thon Maker and, and then all these guys like Julian Stone and Taran Petway that were just really high level guys that had real roster possibilities. Right. And I was hanging with them. Like, I mean, like this is the NBA. It's different than Europe. Their space on the floor is different. The, you know, the shooting, if you get to your spots, you're going to get shots. Yeah. Um, so through it, 
my first game, we had the opening game at Summer League against the Cleveland Cavaliers. The whole gym was just packed. There's like this just electricity in the gym, opening game of Summer League. Right. And I didn't play one second. <laughs> and I, I was on the bench the whole game. And I'm like, I'm saying this as a guy who grew up loving the NBA and knowing full well where I'm at. Right. It was a great seat. Like I said, I mean, the game was long. Like my ass was killing me by the end of the game. But yeah. Um, and you like you're getting up, you're standing down, you're getting up, sitting down. There's so many media timeouts. Um, right. But I'm thinking like this is, you know, this is still pretty good. And in my head, I'm like, don't get discouraged. There's an awfully good chance when you were coming down here that like you don't know when you're going to get your shot. So you have to remember all the things you did at home. You got to remember all the years you put into this uh, to even have this opportunity. So no bad attitude, no sulking. Uh, the second you get back in the gym, you get back to work, you're going to get something. And there were guys already that first game that were like, this is stupid. These guys don't know my game. Like they don't know I was killing in Japan. Like, right. okay, but what's that doing for you? So the next game we play, I think the G League select team, and I got like 14 seconds. Like I went in and went like up, down, and the quarter ended, and that was it. Right. Um, so, okay, uh, we have a closed-door scrimmage with the Raptors, and um, really good team. They had, you know, Norman Powell was down there to play just to get his legs. Uh, Fred Van Fleet was just drafted. You could tell right away he was going to be really good. Um and we had a closed door scrimmage and I played pretty good. I hit a couple shots, came off some pin downs, feeling pretty good about it. And right. thinking like, all right, like someone's going to notice, notice this, notice me next game, zero minutes. Um, but I'm, you know, the whole time I'm thinking like one, I'm old enough to know, like, again, this doesn't come around very often. So if the worst thing that happens is I'm a member of the Milwaukee Bucks and I'm sitting most of it, there's worse ways you can spend your time. For sure. Um, so I'm trying to soak all this up. I'm trying to, to also remain positive because, again, you just never know. Um, we play the Mavericks the next game. I get in, you know, get some movement, get a touch, get a shot, missed it. And after the game, I'm like, like, was that going to be my one? Like, right. am I going to get that back? Um, so we had an off day the next day. And I went to the coaches and I was like, can I work out tomorrow? Like, I haven't gotten a lot of – TikTok the last little bit. So can I get a, can I get a sweat? And they're like, well, you know, a lot of gyms are, you know, backed up over here, you know, busy city. We'll let you know. Okay. So I get back to my room a little later in the evening. I text coaches again, like, Hey, can, can we work out tomorrow? We're working on it. We'll let you know. So they text me at about three in the morning <laughs> and they're like, Hey, uh, if you're still up to work out, uh, you can work out with Michael Carter Williams and Steve Novak tomorrow. Uh, be in the lobby at eight. And I text him back, like, done, you know, and then I just was laying in bed, like, super, I'm like 34, but I feel like I'm, you know, like a little kid. Right. Um, I go down to the lobby. Michael Carter-Williams is there. Steve Novak's there. Nice guys. They just want to get a workout in. They're just in town, you know, to be close to the team, blah, blah, blah. Right. And supposedly, like, all the guys on Summer League are coming down for the workout. So we're waiting for, like, yeah, this guy said he was coming. This guy said he was coming. This guy said he was coming. So 15, 20 minutes passed. Nobody showed up because we had an off day. We're in Vegas, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, like, finally, Steve Novak says, like, can we just go? Like, we know they're not coming. Awesome. So we go to the arena. And one, it was fantastic because, as you said, this, the Thomas and Mack Center where, uh, where UNLV plays, it's just right. completely quiet. People are sitting up for TV. So it's really like that quintessential NBA workout. Empty arena, people milling around, but it's just you on the court with two other guys. 
And the workout was simple. Everything was just simple. It was just, you know, dribble here, pitch, sprint to a spot, shoot, jab it, shoot, lift fake, big dribble to create space, shoot, run here, run back, shoot, got to make five. Everything was just detail oriented, conditioning based, um, nothing fancy, no getting in your bag and like any of that stuff. It was just what's going to translate to a game. Right. Um, and then after the workout, you know, I felt in my mind, like, if this is the best outcome, then I know like one, I'm as good a shooter as any of these guys. Two, it kind of drives home that belief to you of like, okay, I, I, this is what I thought it was at the highest level. And you get a chance to go through it. It's like, that's a good uh, reminder that the game is just the game. You get in and you work and then you get out of what you put in. So our last game in, in summer league um, to wrap this up, we had the Rockets and uh, same type of thing, you know, game's going. I haven't gotten in in the first half. And then the, the coaches come to me in the third quarter and they're like, hey, be ready to go. And I don't know what that means. And like right. also, too, I'm 34. I've been sitting for a couple hours, like better try and get loosened up. Right. Um, but in my head also, too, I'm thinking like, just stay sharp. You don't know. Just stay sharp. Um, I get in there. Uh, there's a technical. So I get a chance to get to the free throw line and shoot a free throw, which was perfect. You get a chance to touch the ball. Right. You make the free throw, and I'm thinking, like, all right, I, I got the free throw. This is good. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, a couple plays, I ran the wing, got a good look in transition, hit a three on the right wing, and then one last one. It got swung around, and I got a nice little three in the corner. And all of a sudden, you go, hey, I finished with seven points. Not a bad outing. Like, my my player evaluation ranking for that game was solid. Like, it right, was right. like seven points in, like, two minutes. but. You know, it was one of those special things of one being on an NBA floor with uh, a version of an NBA jersey on your chest, which was a dream come true. Right. Um, being able to hit a couple shots because, you know, the work that was put in for the years prior, the work that was put in with George over the summer was just for that. You know, you never know when you're going to get your number called. And you just have to be ready when it's your time. Um, you know, I got a little bit of hype after that of like, you know, people chanting your name in the stands and. Um, and how special that was after the game. There's all these kids running up and saying, can I have your jersey? Can I have your shoes? Can I have your socks? And you're like, no way, man. I'm keeping all this. I don't no, have no, this no. at home. I need this. Yeah, this. I need this stuff. This is <laughs> yeah. mine. Yeah. Um, and then that special moment of my kids were in the stands. Awesome. Uh, my wife was in the stands. And, you know, basketball has been awfully good to us. But, you know, there's been bumps and challenges along the way. And uh, that's the last five-on-five game I played. Right. And I couldn't really think of a better way or a more or a more magical way to go out, especially with, you know, my, my little girl on the stand yelling, like, give the ball to my daddy. Uh, it, it gets me a little emotional because we we, we, we all made sacrifices and, and we were so lucky, lucky and fortunate to to have an opportunity to, to go out that way and to hit, you know, hit some shots on that kind of court in that kind of environment. And uh, like I mentioned before, all I ever wanted to be was, you know, a good basketball player in high school at the Division One level, and to have had that shot and get that crack was uh, was a dream come true. Well, that's awesome, and uh, appreciate you sharing the the personal side. And hey, you were you are a great basketball player, so mission accomplished, man. Well done. Uh, oh, thanks. Man. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I know you had a small role uh, with the Stingers and the CEBL, and I just wanted to touch on that league real quick. I just um, get your take on just how important the CEBL has been this far in terms of growing the game in Canada and just providing an excellent product in mm -hmm. a domestic league and just allowing so many guys to play back at home in Canada and in front of friends and family, you know, what, uh, what do you, what do you think about this league and where it's headed? 
I, I you know what I think the league is is nothing but positive. You know, right. I, I there were versions of this in the past, and it always was a little bit tough because you know we have such a such a big country, and it's so difficult to support a coast to coast league. Right. Um, you know, I was involved right at the beginning with the Stingers before we'd even bounced the ball. And one of the things that you have to deal with is, you know, answering the question of what's this going to be? Is this going to be weird or, is, you know, is this going to fold in a month? And players were very skeptical just because, you know, it's new. We don't know. And, right. you know, you know, you don't know how you're going to be treated. You don't know if the bills are going to get paid and you don't know if, if, if it does sound too good to be true. Then there's a chance it probably is. But from the get-go, you could see there was something different about the CBL with, with the infrastructure, uh, the people that were in place, uh, the plan that they had. Um, and what I loved about it more, more than anything, Matt, was that it was going to be a, a Canadian professional league for Canadian players. Right. And one of the mistakes I think that's been made in the past is, well, it's a professional league. Yeah, but Canadians aren't the ones that are being emphasized. You know, if we're going to really talk about providing opportunity uh, and exposure for Canadian players, then... We got to get them on the court right. and we got to emulate what they have in other leagues where, Hey, you have to have a minimum of Canadian players or domestic players on your roster. That's going to ensure that they play. That's going to ensure that they improve right. and that's going to ensure that they get video so that they can try and get over to some of these other places and, and really make a run in having a professional career. Um, you know, the talent in the CBL is, I think uh, it, it's outstanding um, yeah. already. I mean, we've only had two, ver two years of this one, regular and one bubbled, but the talent level, even from year one to year two improved, I think in year three, it's going to only go up again. Um, these are good jobs. I mean, you're playing in Canada, so you know, you're going to be in a great country. You're going to be, right. you're going to be paid because that is a legitimate thing with a lot of guys as they go to some countries and who knows the actual reasons, but oftentimes you don't get paid and you, you, you're doing some weird things and feeling like, you know, I'm like a little bit of a fish out of water. You're not going to get that here. Right. Uh, so you really just have to focus on being a ball player. And I think it sets a great precedent for younger players that they have a league that they can strive to play in within their own country where they know that the level of competition is high. Um, the exposure is, is, is strong. The level of coaching is good. Um, and I, I think, you know, it's only going to get bigger and better and it continue to expand across the country. And it's only going to do positive things for basketball in our country. So, um, I'm, I'm grateful I had a chance to be involved with the Stingers and, and especially in the beginning when nothing had happened yet. And to see where it's already come in such a short amount of time is exciting. Right. And um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to following it again this year. I think it's, it's going to be a big step for the league and, and another thing for people in Canada to be excited about uh, when it comes to, to playing ball. Yeah. I'm, I'm big on supporting it. I think it's a great league. Uh, mm -hmm. It's great to see so many guys get the opportunity to play at home. So. And shout out the Stingers defending champions after the summer series last, right. year, last year. And uh, Jordan Baker, your boy, I think he won Canadian Player of the Year, didn't he? Yeah, I don't know what I must. They must have not had any Canadians. Yeah, I know. So he was he was the only choice. Well, yeah, I'm sure he left. No, he's you know, and I think if you yeah. if you look at the Stingers, uh, he embodies uh, when you look for younger Canadians are like, hey, what do I got to do to play pro? Right. Well, you know what you can do is you can get out there and you can you can hit the boards you can find the open man you can defend your ass off you can run the floor hard yeah and uh, you can be excited when teammates have success um you know and i think jordan especially in the bubble last year really embodied that he did he did a, such a great job of of just being the glue guy if he needed to go get a tough bucket he was going to get it if he needed to throw an outlet pass all the way down the court he's hitting you on the numbers and 
if you needed to to get in there and wrestle for a rebound, he's doing that. I think um, he's been tremendous uh, for for the team and for the league because you know you see that and you go, uh, I want to play with a guy like that. It's a great attraction for the Stingers, and then also too, it raises the level in the league because other guys have to get out and compete against him. So uh, I think it, it only does positive things for the CBL and and, and the Edmonton Stingers. For sure, I'd love to see a, a team get uh, placed in. Calgary, we could have a little QE2 rivalry. That would be kind of neat. So That would be fun. Hopefully soon. Hopefully yeah. soon. Um, obviously, on Canada Hoop, Steve, we like to talk Canada basketball, and especially uh, with guys or or girls that have played uh, for Canada basketball at some level. Uh, you recently just returned home after mm-hmm. representing Canada in the FIBA 3-on-3 Olympic qualifier in Austria, and unfortunately, we're unable to qualify. But... Um, I'm sure you could feel the support from the community across Canada, just rallying you guys in that effort. Um, you know, how special was that effort just to get, you know, represent Canada first and then get to the qualifier and oftentimes kind of play, paying your way to, to make that happen. Can you just give us some reflection there on that? Well, you know, I mean, one of the most, uh, one of the things that really lasts with you is, uh, was that, that feeling of wearing, of wearing Canada across your chest. Um, yeah. Like I said, uh, you know, when it came to, to the Bucks thing, I mean, that's a dream come true because it's the NBA. But, you know, I grew up idolizing Steve Nash, uh, like everyone did that was yeah. my age. And he was always so tremendous of his outspoken uh, support for you got to play for your country. That was his dream. You play for the country. And he was always so adamant about that, of playing for Canada, playing for Canada. And, yeah. You know, for me uh, – to have had this chance and this opportunity, uh, especially this journey with 3x3 at my age at 38, uh, you know, it, it meant a great deal. Um, the support that we got from home when we were over there, uh, you could really feel it. Even though we were so far away, you could you could just feel it. Yeah. Um, messages we got from people, you know, phone calls that you got from people, uh, you could just the support was uh, was was overwhelming in certain regards. So. Um, Something I'll remember the rest of my life. Um, something I'll remember the rest of my life is, is both of my kids being old enough to, to, to watch me play with the Canada jersey on. That was that was great. I mean, we were we were a family team. Uh, you know, myself, I have two kids. Kyle has two kids, and they could watch their dad play. And right. um, you know, Alex Johnson has a, has a little one on the way. So I mean, there were all these things where you know it's a whole heck of a lot more than just bouncing the ball and. You know, I'll be honest, the us not qualifying is still something, you know, it's been a couple of weeks now, but the, the disappointment and hurt from that is still is still strong because right. uh, there was there was things that went into this that no one will ever know and, and how hard we had to fight just to get Canada to this point. And, you know, they won't make a documentary about this because we don't have the footage, but it would have been an awfully good one because right. it's, it's a hell of a story. Um, but I guess also, too, that's one of those special things that's just going to be saved for for the players and the people that were close to us and who supported us, because this was a long shot when we, when we really set out to do it. And um, one of the things that uh, I've been reflecting on over these last couple of weeks is how far we came and how it was really in the beginning, just built around a hope and a belief that we can get it done and how hope is maybe possibly the best thing you can have as, as a motivator and, and a, and a push for you. And that's what it all started with. And, you know, we came awfully close and I know at some point, Canada's going to be in the Olympics playing three on three. 
Yeah. And you hope that uh, the steps that we took and the things that we did are, are going to be catalysts to drive that forward. So, uh, yeah, awfully special. Well, well put. Uh, appreciate you sharing that. And I think I prepped you for this question. And we always like mm-hmm. to ask guests, who's Steve Sir's top five of all time for Canada basketball? Matt, I'm glad you asked this question. You know, oh, you look sent at this. this to me and I was I was fired up for this. Um, awesome. Awesome. So I'm I'm gonna really go out on a limb here with my first choice. I think you might know, but you know, for the people at home who don't, I'm I'm gonna pick a guy named Steve Nash. That's yep. uh that's my first choice. There might never, be some debate on that. Never I'm heard of the guy. Hear, I'm not hearing it. Yeah, I'm not here. Nash yeah. is my guy. Okay. Um after that, I'm gonna go with a little bit of uh you know, the paving the way people. I'm going to throw Eli Pasquale on there. Nice. Um, always used to get his his flyers for the EY Pasquale basketball camp growing up. And, cool. uh, yeah, I was talking about a friend with that earlier today. And, uh, yeah, he, he impacted the game a great deal uh, and was one, one of our special special Canadian players. Rest so I'm going to throw Eli on there. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah, spe- yeah, special person and meant so much to the game. Um, I'll probably throw, I'll throw uh, Jamal Murray on there. I mean, what he's okay. been able to do in the last little while was, has been really fun to watch. And a lot of people were sleeping on him or, or weren't thinking he was going to be this or that. And he wound up being a whole heck of a lot more. And that only comes from being awfully tough. Uh, right. So I throw him on there. I put Kelly Olynyk on there too. Um, same type of thing. You know, yeah. he when he was here playing at the Reb, I remember people saying, because uh, I wasn't around at the time, people were saying like, man, you should see this guy. He's good. Right. And it didn't get set on fire right away at Gonzaga, but then he had that, you know, that year where he worked on himself and he really committed to it and then just took this gigantic step and leap. And that was pretty cool to see that a guy went a little off the beaten path and, and took a risk and bet on himself and, and it paid off in, in spades. So I'd throw Kelly on there. I'm going to go out on a limb here on this one. And I like this one just because I'm proud of this one. I'm going to throw Denim Brown on there. Nice. Um, if you weren't following Canadian basketball at that time when Denim was uh, on the scene in high school, right? then it's probably going to be difficult to recapture now just an explanation. But what he meant for hoops in the country at that time, yeah, you know, he scored 100 points in a game. And, and I mean, guys out, of, out west, we were hearing about this guy that was just like, man, what is this guy doing out there? Like he was just destroying people. And <clears throat> he signed at UConn. And yeah. You know, people were like, this guy's an NBA guy. And then when we had a chance to play against him on the provincial team, um, he was the real deal. He was yeah. legit. Like, he he had a ton of stuff to his game, and he was tough. And, oh, man, he was just – he was so good. So I'd have to throw him on there for the same type of thing. I think everyone in Toronto, especially in talking to some guys out there that I know, Denim was like – he was on the level and the pedestal above everybody. Yeah. Um. And he, you know, I'm sure there's other guys you could say like Andrew Wiggins and na 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 that have, you know, are in the league and do this and that. But what, what Denim Brown was at that time was an awfully big deal and he could play. So I'm going to go with that. I'd probably say like an honorable mention is like a Jay Triano. For sure. uh, same type of thing. Great shooter, what he meant for the game. Um, but I feel, I feel good about my five. I like my five. I like your five. <laughs> I like your five too. And I'll just throw some. Denim's been in a couple fives. But um, the fact that you've highlighted him in that way, you know, people have mentioned him and just said, like, 
you know, I had Javon Shepard join us and, and Shep mm-hmm. played with, played with them in high school and was right there. And, and Denim was that guy in the community that he looked up to. And, you know, oh, Denim, yeah, for sure. Denim probably doesn't get enough love across the board. And he was that guy before a lot of these guys and uh, trailblazer in a I, lot of ways. He was a trailblazer. Absolutely. And I'm a big Kelly fan. Uh, no mm-hmm. doubt. So uh, that's a great top five from Steve, sir. Uh, Steve, any shout outs or thank yous before I let you go, man? Um, you know, I, I would say uh, quick mentions of uh, a couple key people. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this over the course of the pod of, you know, formulative coaches and, and people you play with and meet along the way. Um, as I mentioned before with the, with the three-point record, uh, my name's there, but there's so many people that, that helped me with, you know, their passes and their screens and their support and their love. Um, and I really think that's that's a big part of this game is uh, as you go through it, um, you put in the hard work, but there's so many people that are standing behind you and, and supporting you and pushing you along the way. And when you stumble, they help you pick yourself up. Um, they keep you motivated. Um, and it's uh, it's all really a part of, of the experience and, and the journey um, is – the relationships you make along the way and the memories that you form with your teammates and the people you play and the places you go. And, you know, this is a, this is a special game, man. I mean, there, yeah. there's so many things that, uh, that can be accomplished and doors that can be opened that you don't even know are there. If you, if you commit to the idea of if I love basketball, then the best thing I can do is, is work my ass off at it. And if that means I got to ask questions and not come to the gym with answers, ask questions, if I want to be a college basketball player, then, you know, what can I learn about this? I got to learn everything I can. I got to learn about the guys that did it before me. Um, you know, I got to try and and hold myself to a certain level of standard uh, and accountability. Uh, and then I got to persist. You know, one thing I would say after talking about all this stuff uh, from my basketball jersey journey is it didn't go how I planned. There was a lot of things that happened along the way that I wasn't expecting that I, I wished would have been different or when I set out to do, I wasn't thinking would be a part of it. And that's really the beauty in it is, is it, it doesn't go according to plan and you have to adjust and you have to persist. Um, so I guess to mention through that, like my folks helped me with that a ton. Sure. Uh, my, uh, my close friends in this game uh, helped me through that. I mean, the three on three guys that I've been playing with for the last couple of years, you know, we, we went on a globe trot to get this done. And, you know, we spent so much time in airports together that uh laying on floors and eating bad food and, and, and all for the chance to play and represent Canada at the Olympics. So those types of guys. And, and then the last would be, you know, like my kids and my wife, um, my wife is, you know, has, is my, is my best friend and has stood by me. And, and, you know, it's that Paul Simon song, you know, she loves me like a rock. And yeah. through all this three X three stuff, it's been right there with her and, and it's been together. She's not a, uh, the type to, be at home and be mad that I'm heading off to another crazy place and playing in this spot. She's sitting right there and, and supporting it the entire way and balancing all of that with being a mom and, 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 and having her own career as well. So right. um, it's a bit of a long shout out, but I would just say, you know, without all those things, I don't know what I would have done with this game. And uh, I, I'm, I wouldn't ever think to change anything because I, I'm awfully, awfully lucky to have had the experiences and, and, and have met the people and done the things that I have. So 
Um, yeah, I, where I sit right now, not exactly knowing what will be next for me as a competitor, uh, is, uh, that's what I feel more than anything is, a, is an extreme level of gratitude to, to all those people who helped me along the way. Awesome. Well put. Well, you know, we really want to thank you, and uh, we appreciate you joining us on Canada Hoops. Much love to you, man. Thanks, Maddie. This was fun, man. Absolutely. That wraps up another episode of Canada Hoops. I want to thank Steve, sir, for pulling up. Thank you for you, our listeners. Keep supporting and spreading love for Canadian basketball from coast to coast to coast. Until next time, I'm your boy, Maddie. Thank you for listening to Canada Hoops.